The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Kingston here with Scott Wapner and Leslie Picker. Kramer and Faber have the morning off. Future's pretty steady. Dow's coming off uh, five straight wins and another gain today would be the first six-day win since March, uh, keeping a close eye on China's supply chain. Ten-year yields close to a three-week high. Our roadmap this morning begins with, quote, not the same disease. Oxford scientists signaling that the new Omicron variant is less severe, but companies continue to drop out of in-person events at CES next month. Plus, Tesla moving higher, Elon Musk selling another billion dollars in shares and completing exercising his stock options for next year. And semis outpacing the S&P for the year. But can it hold that rally into next year? The founder of Cypress Semi is with us, Carl. Guys, another morning where we're watching COVID cases set some records. A global COVID cases now a million plus for the second day in a row. And U.S. printing 441,000 yesterday, seven-day average, almost a quarter million now. Interesting, uh, Leslie, um, CDC Director Walensky was on, I think, five morning shows this morning and was talking about uh, their changed guidance on quarantine and isolation. Her general point was, look, we're trying to give... Um, uh, the Americans, what they think they can handle. Mm-hmm. And part of the challenge to her was it sounds like their decision has been based as much in business as in science. And maybe that's true when they're talking about things like societal function, making sure that employees aren't removed from work uh, for 10 straight days. That's right, Carl. And, you know, they've gotten some pushback with regard to kind of putting the idea of corporate profits ahead of the health and safety of people in this country. I think the real question is, what does the science tell us about the appropriate time to quarantine? I think there are certain cases where that virus can last for a long time, but does it actually shed and infect others? That, of course, would be indicative that people could maybe be safer if they quarantine for longer. However, if they are, you know, test negative, essentially don't have any symptoms, Does it make sense to allow people to get back to work sooner? These are really important questions that we're having right now, especially as we approach the second year of this pandemic, Scott. Guys, uh, imagine where we would be uh, a year ago, for example, uh, 400,000 cases in a single day. We, We read that number and it's such an incredibly large number, yet the number that most are focusing on, the fact that hospitalizations and deaths are not spiking nearly in the same magnitude as they were before or anywhere close to a 400,000 number in a single day, 267,000 in a seven-day average is also a, a record number. And that is largely why the market has been able to do what it's been able to do. We talk about the winning streak for the Dow, Carl. The S&P, it needed a breather. I mean, when you're up 6%, 
in five days or so. It's like Michael Johnson running the 200 at the Olympics in record fashion with his gold <laughs> shoes on. And he, 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 he needs a little bit of a break before he goes for the double-double with the 400, right? So the market just needed a chance to just catch its wind. Yeah, and maybe that's why, uh, guys, we're seeing the Treasury yields climb. We got the 10-year back to 152. Obviously, with all the caveats about uh, volume uh, this week uh, between the holidays, we'll see what how much gets ratified when traders really come back in force next week. But to Scott's point, uh, Leslie, um, the market's counting on activity not severely being dented. A uh, big story in the journal this morning about how states are going to try to avoid restrictions of, uh, of waves in the past. And then we got the Samsung production news about altering production schedules in Xi'an and China, where we know there's been an outbreak and uh, some severe lockdowns. Any hint, Leslie, that supply chain is going to continue to get interrupted, at least in the southeast uh, Pacific region, because of Omicron, is going to lead to inflationary worries at the margin. And maybe uh, on, on the margin, that's what uh, yields are reflecting today. That's right, Carl. And I think the question is, what exactly are we solving for? Because if it is a negative test, well, we're not looking so great on that front. If we are solving for lower hospitalizations and a lower death rate, the Omicron variant does look much more promising than previous variants on that front. Now, the question becomes, and this is why quarantine is so important with regard to the functioning of the functioning of the economy, because if you do have all of these positive tests and you have even a five day quarantine, that, of course, is going to create a pause both in consumer habits as well as the labor force and the ability to get things done. There were headlines today that the CDC is investigating 86 cruise ships with COVID-19 cases. That, of course, elicits quarantines. Uh, but then you look at the cruise lines, which have actually outperformed this month. Carnival up 19%, Royal Caribbean up 12%, Norwegian up 12.3%. So that kind of gets back to Scott's point that the market really seems to be shrugging this off, especially as we approach the last three trading days of the year. Right, Scott? Well, because it feels like it can finally for the first time in maybe two years, see the real other side. You know, there were, you know, false starts, if you will, over the last couple of years. And now perhaps for the very first time, you can actually start to see the other side. And Carl, maybe you can start to see the other side too, to the inflation uh, issue. I I saw a tweet that you had retweeted this morning, and I think it was from Ed Morse uh, from City talking about how next year could actually be a deflationary year rather than inflationary. So you talk about the different kinds of inflation. Are wages going to stick for a long period of time? Probably. Is commodity inflation going to stick? Probably not. And you've already seen the rollover in that. Are other types of inflation going to stick? Maybe not. So that's the point I think that he was making, whereas everybody is talking about and still worrying about inflation, and rightly so, as you talk about potential disruptions out of Southeast Asia or, you know, Asia proper uh, on supply chains and things like that maybe it's not going to be as big of an issue next year as was once worst feared. Yeah, and I think Peter yeah, Brookfire... maybe, at least... Oh, sorry, Leslie. Uh, just to, to Scott's point about Ed Morse on, on Worldwide Exchange this morning, talking about deflation in commodities, but... Leslie, I would add uh, St. Louis Fed had a pretty interesting paper about the number of people who retired earlier than they expected because of COVID. 
2.4 million Americans wow. retiring, exiting the labor force because of this pandemic. Um, that's obviously going to challenge uh, labor force participation, hence wage inflation, hence the Fed's pivot the last couple of weeks. So all these really strange uh, cross currents and dynamics are going to be difficult to navigate. Yeah, that's a huge number from my hometown Fed. Um, interestingly, Peter Bookfar had a note out this morning where he was talking about this idea that inflation and the actual underlying costs may come down and the rate of change of inflation may come down. But you do have this corporate response that we have to worry about, this idea that they may take advantage of the public's willingness to accept higher prices for now in an ability to build back up the margins that they've had to sacrifice given the inflation pressures that they've seen over the last year or so. So lots of interesting dynamics. For more on the markets, uh, let's bring in Andrew Simmons, Morgan Stanley Investment Managing Director and Angel Oak Capital Advisors, Cheryl Pate. Thank you both very much for being here. Andrew, I want to start with you because I was reading your latest Note, and you made a nice parallel between Chicago sports teams and the markets. As you note, this is clearly a year for the Chicago Bulls, not the Chicago Bears. But what does history suggest about next year? Will the markets re reflect your basketball team or will it be the football team? Yeah, good morning, Leslie. Yeah, I think the point of this is, is that uh, the second year coming out of uh, a low uh, recessionary bear market, uh, which was this year, the market always does well. It, it always does well. And this year is just another repeat. So I think the people that were bearish were way too premature. And the Bulls were not optimistic enough, just like we weren't optimistic enough about the Chicago Bulls. But next year, if you consider the next year, it is yet another good year, but is much more tempered. And I think you're looking at, you know, mid to uh, low, mid single digits and low teens year. Uh, and that's because the earnings story continues, but the Fed starts to throw some cold water onto it. You had Tommy Lee on the other day saying monetary tightening creates volatility. And I think that's what leads to lower, albeit positive, uh, returns for the market next year. So, Cheryl, how do you think investors should be positioning their portfolios in the last few days of the year, uh, both in terms of allocation as well as maybe sector selection? Yeah, that's right. Good morning, Leslie. Um, you know, we're, we're much more biased to um, value stocks here as we move into uh, 2022. And, and, and I would agree with Andrew that I think we're sort of in the uh, you know, 10, 10 to 15 percent type returns. So still very uh, nice returns, but, but I'll be at lower than this year. Um, I think you're starting to see that transition into um, sectors like financials, which are clear beneficiaries of a higher rate environment. And in fact, if you look at banks and diversified financials broadly, um, certainly the outperformers in a rising rate environment. Andrew, you've um, you crushed it this year. Your, your numbers are, are pretty you. darn good. Um, their fund is up 34 and a half percent year to date. It's obviously beating the S&P. Uh, you're ranked in the top one percent. Uh, year to date. So given your prowess for picking stocks, apparently, which ones do I want to be in in 2022, given your outlook? Well, look, I mean, what's interesting, Scott, and thank you that for that, is if you look at the markets rocked this month, but it's real estate, utilities, staples leading. I think the market is anticipating that there's going to be a quick pivot from tapering to Fed rate hikes. You wouldn't have those stocks leading if it weren't for that. 
So in my opinion, uh, I, I agree with Cheryl. It, you know, it is a smattering of different stocks, but I think largely financials and energy, which have been the big standouts this year, especially energy, which that's led to a big performance for us. It's very under our own sector. I think those will continue to work uh, uh, next year. But I think you have to offset that with some of the more defensive stocks because it is a lower return environment and simply in a lower return environment, you're going to have more volatility. Cheryl, there was a report in the FT today about hedge funds uh, betting against some of the market pessimism that we've been seeing, uh, essentially looking for a steepening yield curve, despite it being a trade that's really inflicted some pain this year. What do you make of the fixed income environment for 2022? Do you think it will finally be the year that investors could capitalize on on some improving economic environment? I think when we're looking at um, the yield curve, and I do think the the front end of the curve is going to matter more um, in in sectors like financials as well, clearly. Um, But we we are looking for the tenure to move um, higher still from here. Um, We are much more biased towards shorter duration strategies. Uh, We like financials on the fixed income side as well as structured credit um, and, and are certainly leveraged to housing um, as well there. So RMBS and, and even ABS on the consumer side. Uh, we like the, the short duration, lower volatility profile um, into a year where there'll be a lot of movement in rates. Great. Well, we will keep an eye on it. Thank you, Andrew and Cheryl, very much for joining us. Carl. Guys, when we come back, uh, Elon Musk selling some more Tesla shares, uh, moving closer to his 10% target, exercising some more options before those expire at the end of the year. Meanwhile, take a look at futures, uh, narrow range here, but holding steady uh, in a year where actually the first year since 05, where the S&P is likely to outperform both the Dow and the Nasdaq. We're back in a minute. Every day. Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Shares of Tesla rising in the pre-market in a regulatory filing. Elon Musk disclosing he has sold another $1 billion worth of his company's stock, putting him closer to that target of selling a 10% stake. Musk has now completed exercising all of his stock options expiring next year, signaling the end of recent stock sales. 
to cover tax bills. You can see uh, over the last three months, uh, Les, the stock's uh, up 40 percent in just the last three months. So maybe this removes just that part of uh, the story uh, for a moment. You start to look at 2022, where people like Dan Ives at Wedbush remain incredibly bullish, thinking the stock has 30 percent more upside to go. You get some of the component shortages out of the way. You're going to open some new factories. You've got strong demand, not only in the United States, but in a key market like China. In other words, it becomes all about the fundamentals and less about Musk, uh, if that's even such a thing. (laughs) If there is such a thing, Scott. Now, you bring up a good point. Of course, insider sales always pique the interest of investors to see kind of if it's a reflection on what that executive believes the future value of the stock price might be. In this case, of course, Elon Musk has been very transparent that his sales are in conjunction with a large tax bill that he has. Uh, Total share sales amount to about $16.4 billion. Pretty remarkable. But to your point, Scott, this has really moved the stock in a way that we often don't see with regard to these executive sales. He announced in November that he planned to do these share sales or, or asked his Twitter followers if he should do these share sales. And they said yes. And so that poll kind of ignited this whole back and forth over whether he's done, whether he's almost done. And of course, the stock price reacting to that, Carl, I think the question to Scott's point is what will next year portend? Will we see more Tesla Uh, volatility, kind of like we've seen in the past few years, or will it be more of a return to fundamentals? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about insider selling, and it has happened. Robert Frank's been keeping us honest on the level of insiders, especially at the high end, who are selling this year. But Bloomberg had a piece last week on insider buying, Leslie. 1,300 corporate officers have done insider purchases in the past 30 days. That's the most going back to March of 2020, which is interesting. And as for the EV space, um, you're right about competition. Next year is going to be fascinating. I don't know if you noticed, Scott, Ford market cap finally surpassing GMs yesterday for the first time in about five years. Um, Adam Jonas has written about this lately. Uh, He's not really hot on Ford, but wonders what the market has seen, the valuation of F over GM, especially given disparate exposures to, say, China, for example. Well, I think I saw a list this morning that Ford was on of the 11 stocks out of the S&P 500 that have doubled this year. And and Ford was on that list. Now, GM's obviously been no slouch, but Ford has sped past it in terms of performance, uh, certainly in the in the second half of the year. And if Jim were here, he'd obviously be waxing poetic about uh, Mr. Farley, (laughs) the the CEO. It it is going to be interesting to see the the performance of some of the other EV stocks, uh, Rivian and the like, and some of the names that have really just blasted through the stratosphere in terms of performance. Um, You know, the market caps are huge relative to the revenues. Uh, that these companies are making, the price to sales, obviously, th- through the through the roof. And I just wonder if if some of the overall steam comes out of of areas like that in the market, what the impact is going to be, Carl, to, to some of the names like the ones that we we just mentioned and, and others. I mean, it it has been one of the hottest spots in the market uh, in the last three, four months. Yeah. And as for Musk, uh, Leslie, you know, we can't, it's, it's, the end of the year is a good chance to sort of assess the year he's had. Time person of the year, FT person of the year, uh, his back and forth with Elizabeth Warren. And that's not even considering what he's done in space. It's been hard to escape him no matter where you look in 2021. Yeah, he uh, I think as Morning Brew put it this morning, he's blended uh, this idea of kind of a, an entrepreneur 
entrepreneurial force as well as celebrity in a way that we rarely seen. Of course, there was the whole Dogecoin situation when he hosted SNL that they point out. Tesla now over a trillion dollar market capitalization, which is just a feat in and of itself. And then, of course, the sparring with various senators, be it Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, with regard to, you know, his own personal decisions with regard to wealth and paying taxes. Yeah, uh, definitely a magnetic figure uh, in American business, uh, historic in, in a historic sense. Guys, when we come back later this morning, Cypress Semi, uh, fo- uh, founder T.J. Rogers is going to join us, talk about the chip sector, outperformance this year, what he sees ahead for 2022. As for futures, looking pretty steady after a brief dip into the red. As we said, Dow's riding five straight gains and now sits within about half a percent of an all-time high. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. S&P did take a pause uh, yesterday with a, a brief decline after four straight gains, but futures back in the green today amid uh, pretty good, I would argue, pretty good news flow given the holiday week, and futures have been relatively steady here, down now, down now at the highest since November 8th. We're going to get that opening bell in about six and a half minutes. Apple reportedly taking some new steps to retain top talent. Uh, Sources telling Bloomberg the company's offering significant stock bonuses to some of its engineers uh, looking to stave off defections to rivals like uh, Facebook's Meta. Uh, The bonuses range reportedly from about 50K to as much as $180,000 in some cases, which is fascinating, Leslie, because it depends on who you ask in the Valley. But Apple, um, although they pay extraordinarily well, not historically known for leading on compensation because mm-hmm. they're Apple and uh, there's a huge premium in, in working for the company in and of itself. But the fact that they're moving this direction says a lot about the, the scarcity of talent right now. Yeah. Did you guys watch Silicon Valley on HBO? I just always think about that line where they talk <laughs> about, you know, those who work for the fruit, obviously meaning Apple and how kind of that creates this prestige and whatnot. But we were talking, um, you know, One of the interesting dynamics about Silicon Valley is that California is a state that really does not love the idea of non-competes and they're not really allowed there. So that creates kind of this price dynamic. And then, of course, you have the whole competition from uh, cryptocurrency related companies. Now, there was a story in The New York Times last week that talked about all of the defections from big tech to the crypto world. And then, of course, there's competition with regular tech. And then 
a lot of the people who work at companies like Apple, especially if they're engineers, love the idea of going off and starting their own company that they hope will one day become Apple. So with all of these competing forces, you look at $180,000 in stock and you think, wow, that's such a big number. But for the companies in Silicon Valley, they have to ensure that they have this engineering talent because that is the bread and butter of what they do, Scott. So it'll be interesting to see if we see some action on this front from other big tech companies as well in response to what Apple did. And here we've been sitting wondering for all of these months what Apple's going to do with the $200 billion of cash on its balance sheet. Well, now we know what they're going to do with at least a little bit of it. (laughs) They're going to pay it out to try and retain some talent, and they're going to make it vest over four years to try and get people to stick around. And oh, by the way, uh, it wouldn't be a day if we didn't mention the approaching $3 trillion in market cap again. So we're still watching 182.86. I think that's the number. So we're still a few bucks away uh, from that. You know what, guys? It's pretty interesting when you think about what the year ahead may bring. The CNBC stock survey you know, ask that very question. What do you anticipate for Apple shares in the year ahead? Take a look at this pie chart of, of answers here. Forty two percent say it's going to keep growing and the stock will still keep rising. So there's obviously a lot of optimism around it, but still 58 percent say it's reasonable that the stock uh, slows down just a bit, which I guess is not surprising given the fact of how fast the stock has run up, uh, certainly this year and the great year that it's had. Yeah, it's true, Um, especially when you think about it. We've talked about this last couple of days Uh, going into the end of the year. A lot of the bullish narratives are multi-layered when it comes to Apple. It's not just about what we might hear in the spring, Leslie, in terms of capital return, uh, the spring quarter typically where they talk about that kind of thing, but also the optionality around a new product uh, in the uh, AR, VR space this year. And then, of course, there's always the, I won't call it a pipe dream because some are quite convinced it will happen, but the idea of a car as the company has proven lately that they are no stranger and are not afraid of uh, vertical integration, especially in chips. Um, Maybe the car itself is just a giant iPhone, and that's what this has all been leading to over time. Let's get the opening bell here in the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. The big board today, it's tech nonprofit Blacks and Technology, uh, celebrating its uh, five-year anniversary. At the NASDAQ, it's New York Roadrunners, organizers of the TCS New York City Marathon. Uh, doing the honors. Guys, um, you know, Scott mentioned this list of uh, S&P names that have doubled so far this year. Uh, Ford's on it, but so is Moderna. And both Moderna, Leslie, and BioNTech, uh, last six days, have seen double-digit declines. Um, Hard to tell if this is due to the belief that maybe the less severe Omicron variant is going to suppress uh, demand for vaccines and that vaccine revenue stream. Maybe antivirals will take a ding out of that as well. Or maybe it's sort of the longer term pessimism about the mRNA platform and whether you can transfer that from a vaccine for COVID to the flu and to cardiovascular disease and to cancer. But it's been remarkable to see the action of both of those names. Yeah. And I noticed yesterday Pfizer was one of the biggest decliners as well. And today it's down lower about 0.7% at the open. But I think you bring up a good point that all of this, all of the headlines that we've seen recently, I would say net-net are positive on the COVID front. And so you kind of wonder what that means for the potential for vaccines. We do still have a large proportion of the world that's not yet vaccinated. And there is a large proportion of the United States with young children still not having vaccines and those who have not yet opted to get one. And so I don't know if this means that 
the market believes their growth has stalled from here in terms of vaccinations. But it is an interesting move at the end of the year, especially when you look at the backdrop of what's going on on the COVID front. Also wanted to point out some interesting news in China tech world. You've got Alibaba that reportedly is weighing options for its 30 percent stake in Weibo. What's interesting about that is the idea that we are seeing some of these Chinese tech companies that were interconnected with regard to their investments in each other opting to divest some of those stakes more recently. This comes after the news of Tencent dumping its stake in JD.com last week. Very interesting. And then on, on the uh, DD front, there was a, reporter's, a Reuters report that it will use something called a listing by introduction method to list in Hong Kong as it looks to delist from New York. But for DD investors, this is noteworthy because that means they won't be raising additional capital. They won't be issuing more shares. Obviously, at this point in time, it is important for this type of company to raise additional capital and have that cash on hand. So China Tech has consistently been something to watch as we close out the year, Scott. I wonder also whether this coming year is going to be the year, Leslie, where investors feel better about returning to some of those names or just shun them altogether. Um, you know, you could say and we had a couple of guests discussing this yesterday morning on, on this program um, who think that maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel and that once you get some of these regulations figured out, that these stocks will become, quote unquote, investable again. Hmm. But I just go back to the conversations that I have every day at noon and I can't find very many people who are willing to be investors in these stocks. You may find people who are willing to speculate a little bit on a short term basis, maybe through options or or other shorter term methods of, of owning shares or, or uh, calls in these stocks. But it's hard to find people who are willing to really place their bets in the long term because there's still so many unknowns and the goalposts, Leslie, can move at any moment. That's right. And that's a big departure from what we saw over the last few years. Really heading into the third quarter of this year, a lot of institutional investors were actually overweight relative to the market presence of Chinese tech here in the U.S., at least the, the ADRs that are listed here in the U.S., that has changed dramatically, of course, with the recent sell-off. Now, it'll be interesting to see really what happens as well on the short side, because I do think a lot of institutional investors have been somewhat fearful to actually go short these names in case there is some sort of clarity on the regulatory front, but they're not really buying into them either. Trading, as you mentioned, but not investors is the long run, where names like Alibaba used to be among the top five, four holdings of hedge funds, and at least as disclosed by their 13 Fs. That has gone way down in the rankings. So I think 2022 will be a big year for, for names like that and just the overall capital markets here in the U.S. as a destination for Chinese listings as we look to future IPOs, which historically has been very, very robust given all of the concerns with regard to the recent regulations and the uncertainty that may not necessarily be the case, Carl. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, Scott, uh, I saw... A piece looking back at uh, 2021 trading and part of the argument was looking at S&P probably going to outperform the Nasdaq for the first time since 2016 actually may in fact uh, outperform the Dow as well. But given that uh, the, the narrative that was being spun was that this was finally the year where investors uh, did not or they they avoided buying the initial dip in technology. And we've got plenty of names to sort of back that one up. But you could argue the same things, too, in China tech as well. Um, given the just constant barrage of headlines that we would read in the morning across all kinds of industries and all kinds of regulations, kind of scared people away for the better part of the year. 
Well, the biggest variable going into the new year as it relates to, you know, U.S. tech um, is the Fed and interest rates. And right now, if you tell me that interest rates are what are they? The 10 years around 150. It's been struggling to get over that level. But if you see the 10 year moving meaningfully higher in the new year, you're probably going to see many tech stocks uh, struggle. Maybe not the most mega of mega cap stocks, but a whole swath of other names that can have a big say into what the Nasdaq 100 does. You have to move beyond the, the Apples and the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, et, et cetera, and think about the impact to the, the broader Nasdaq. If you have rates start to move yeah. higher, it's going to be more difficult for those kind of stocks to do well. That's right. Res? Yeah, no, yeah. Scott, a- you, you bring up a good point. And that also presents an opportunity for a lot of value investors, at least ones that have really been waiting for years for their day to come due. I think that is the perfect environment for them, namely activist investors. And I wanted to draw your attention to a situation that's taken place this week over the last week or so, a company called Mercury Systems. Uh, This is a company that provides electronics for the aerospace and defense industry. They effectively work on that supply chain. Um, They adopted a poison pill known more formally as a a limited duration shareholder rights plan, limited duration in that it's going to last a year. But what's interesting about this is that they set the pill at 7.5%, meaning that if anyone tries to acquire more than 7.5%, they specify that this should be an active investor, that that would uh, create a situation where more shares would be provided to current shareholders, therefore diluting the activist or other investor that intends to shake up the company. Now, this comes just one trading day after Jana Partners disclosed about a 6.5% stake. So the pill is about a percentage point higher than that. Why is this interesting? Well, it begs the question, this is a company that's down, I think, 36, 37% year to date. You can see shares there down about half a percentage point at this point in time. But it begs the question about what this company thinks in terms of its valuation what Jana Partners might be doing. We haven't seen a lot of these situations over the last year. In fact, activism, as we talked about yesterday, is down pretty dramatically over the last two years and is at the lowest level that we've seen in the last seven years or so. Does this prevent them? What does ISS think about something like this? Does this entice additional investors to come into this company? I think the question remains to be seen. But A lot of investors, and I've spoke with a few sources on this, believe this could potentially be a takeover target just given the recent price action. This is a a defensive mechanism here. The company itself declined to comment when I called to ask them about this level of the pill. But just an interesting dynamic kind of as we close out the end of the year and you start to see headlines that may just slid by under the surface. Just wanted to draw this one (laughs) to the forefront. Yes. Yeah, it, it is that time of year, guys. Uh, we'll take a break here. Obviously, uh, you can see uh, some of the action. Chips definitely leading in technology. Uh, speaking of chips, uh, TJ Rogers, a former head of Cypress, going to join us, talk about the industry. Got an eight-month high this morning on Micron, by the way. And then we were mentioning uh, bonds and treasuries as the 10-year got to 152, highest since about December 9th. As we take a look at the curve, uh, we will get claims tomorrow. So maybe the uh, biggest economic macro print of the week. More Squawk on the Street continues in just a moment. 
Semis outpacing the S&P for the year. The sector seeing over 40 percent growth amid uh, increased chip demand during the pandemic. Question is, can the rally hold? In our latest installment of the CNBC quarterly stock report, we asked our viewers which sector within tech they expect uh, to be the biggest gainer in 2022. Semis leading the charge, followed closely by software and cloud. Joining us this morning to talk about his outlook for the year ahead is Cypress Semi founder uh, T.J. Rogers. T.J., great to have you with us. Happy New Year. How are you? Good morning. Um, I wonder how you're thinking about sort of the cyclical friction we keep hearing about regarding supply chain and capacity <laughs> increases versus the more secular growth uh, prospects in uh, all kinds of industries right now. Uh, that, that's a very good question. Uh, <clears throat> I remember to preface my comments, <clears throat> in 2000, we had this boom in semiconductors that was never going to end. And then it ended abruptly in 2001. Uh, the semiconductor SOX index dropped to <clears throat> low <clears throat> and it took 17 years to recover. Uh, <clears throat> that's going to happen uh, perhaps late this year. We've been growing at three and a half percent semis on the average. And in 2021, because of all the stuff you've been hearing about, uh, semis grew 13 percent. And now as I look at the analysts that do stuff I read, I see forecasts that go from plus eight percent growth in 2022, which is down uh, from 13 in 2021, all the way down to minus uh, minus six percent uh, for some of the analysts who are the old weathered ones who've been through uh, cycles and semis. So <laughs> I, I, I think I think the uh, the party is uh, it's not coming to an end, but but people need to be careful about putting a bunch of money in semis and forgetting it. Yeah, I you know, all, we hear about I mean, when I think about hotels, I think about airlines, industries that are capital intensive, where the cycles are very hard to read and it's it's easy to overbuild. Are we overbuilding in capacity right now? Is that what it's about? And and then we would see the fallout in pricing, or is it something else? No, we're not. <laughs> a great question. We're not going to overbuild in capacity. The semi guys are smart. They're some of the smartest CEOs in the world. And uh, it, while the government's going, oh, my God, let's give them $20 more billion to build as many plants as we can. <laughs> and we see all this kind of BS coming out of uh, Washington. Uh, the semi-guys know that they have to fight NIMBY wars to get a plan in. They have to go through uh, two years of, of work to get it uh, built and get the equipment and get it up. So they're building what they need according to what they think from their internal projections, which are accurate, uh, not, not government uh, uh, propaganda. So, no, we're not we're not going to overbuild, uh, but we're going to build a lot uh, because chips are, are more important. We're we have a lot more demand for chips. Uh, automotive. Everybody knows the story of the 100 chips in every car. Uh, so we're going to build, you know, Intel's got a 95 billion dollar capital budget. Uh, TSMC has got 105 and Samsung's got 200. So the uh, the big three are going to put uh, put big plants in the ground. We're also going to uh, modify uh, deployment, put more in the U.S. here so we, we don't have to worry the way we did during this last go-round. Um, T. 
TJ, in terms of the the auto industry in particular, the chip shortage has cost about $210 billion in lost revenue, according to Alex Partners. Do you think that the supply chain bottlenecks specifically for the auto industry have been worked out at this point in time? Yes and no. There, there are short-term workouts, which means make more of what you've got. And then there are long-term workouts, which there are two forms on both sides of the fence. One is the car guys need to wake up to start using modern chips. They haven't done that. And two is the semi guys have to uh, work better to keep the automotive supply. Uh, <clears throat> so r- right now, what, short, what started being short in the car industry was 20, uh, 28 nanometer, and that was your, your curved dashboard with all the gauges being, uh, you know, views uh, on a screen. And, and then uh, we had uh, things uh, getting bad on the small chips. We're talking 1,000, 2,000 chips that might run your window, for example, in your car. Uh, so we go back and forth uh, uh, on what, what is short, and you can't really talk about automotive. Uh, so what the automotive guys need to do is stop using old chips. They're, they remind me of the military, where nothing ever flies in an airplane that's not already 10 years old. That's just the way it works. Their call cycle is so long. Automotive is second worst to that. They've got to get better. Uh, Pat Gelsinger of Intel told him at a conference a few months ago, he said, look, we've got all the 16 nanometer capacity, which is way beyond what they need for most applications in cars you want. So move to it. Uh, So people start designing ships uh, where the capacity is available. It's a little bit of a shame with capacity being so expensive that you have some areas of capacity, 60 nanometers, you know, looking for customers, and some areas uh, shutting down uh, plants uh, because of a lack of supply. TJ, that is a great gut check on where the industry stands. And as we enter a, another pivotal year, we look forward to checking in with you uh, frequently in the year ahead. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. TJ Rogers. Still to come this morning, by the way, a reminder that you can always get in on the CNBC Investing Club uh, with Jim Cramer. Uh, sign up, find out more at cnbc.com slash investing club. Uh, just point your phone at the QR code screen, uh, co- code on the screen, it'll take you straight there. Meantime, a lot more Squawk on the Street is coming back after a break. Once again, knocking on the door of uh, 4800, let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. Good morning, Carl. Uh, Kind of a modest open. Uh, We're essentially on the new highs uh, for the S&P 500, but not much in the way of new high stocks, even consumer staples that had uh, done very well recently, like Procter & Gamble, just sort of flattish right now. Take a look at the sectors. Uh, Banks is the one you want to watch. That flattish yield curve that we've been seeing has not been a big help to the bank industry, but uh, semis are having a good day. Micron's up nicely. Uh, Consumer staples, consumer discretionary there. Banks slightly to the downside, as you can see. The year-end narrative hasn't really changed at all uh, in the last day or two, and it's constructed on a very simple idea, other than the fact that we've got some seasonal factors, the Santa Claus rally, no mass lockdowns is the key. Omicron is more transmissible, transmissible, but less virulent. That's the key. So you don't have mass lockdowns. The supply chain and inflation will moderate in the first half of 2022 because we won't have the lockdowns. The Fed will slowly raise rates and not have to be so aggressive on inflation because we won't have this problem with supply chains. This is the theory, remember, 
and the economy is strong. This is why the markets at new high earnings are going to be up 10%. Some people think 20% in 2022. The problem with this theory, and that's what it is, a theory, is it's based on the idea that we're not going to have any real problems with Omicron, particularly on mass lockdowns. This is why a statement that um, Samsung made overnight caught my eye. Now, they've got uh, manufacturing plants, uh, uh, manufacturing plants in Xi'an, China, that make chips. They made this statement overnight. Due to the ongoing COVID-19 situation, we have decided to temporarily adjust operations at our manufacturing facilities in Xi'an, China. It is not clear what the phrase temporarily adjust operations means exactly. This implies, though, some kind of supply chain disruption, potentially, and it implies there could be an, a, a, some kind of impact on shipments overall. Uh, you see Samsung trading down. It hasn't had a great year. It's down about 2%. But the key point here is... We are basing this whole theory about the market holding up on no mass lockdowns occurring. Here's what is a potential supply chain disruption happening over in Xi'an, potentially. So we want to keep an eye uh, on that. Uh, and remember, Samsung, one of the ones that hasn't been a big beneficiary this year. Korea hasn't been a particularly great market in general. And that's where it trades. Finally, the big question everybody's been asking me, why don't we have a day off? on New Year's. And you can thank the New York Stock Exchange Rule 7.2 for this. And it's a very simple one. And all the exchanges have a similar rule here. When a holiday falls on a Saturday, the market closes on the preceding Friday. Okay, that's clear. However, unless unusual business conditions exist, what's that? It would be the end of a monthly or yearly accounting period. Well, that's what January 31st, excuse me, December 31st is. It's the end of the yearly or uh, and monthly accounting period. So because it occurs on that Friday, you don't get a day off. Now, Scott, the good news is we have Juneteenth off this year. That's June 19th. Uh, it is going to be observed on Monday, June 20th. So you do get another day off. But this particular year, the calendar just doesn't work for a day off. You've got to wait six months for that. Maybe they need a, a Rule 7.2a and amend those rules. Maybe they're a little outdated, Bob. <laughs> We'll see. Bob, Bob yeah. Pisani. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bob. Uh, McDonald's and Yum! Brands among the restaurant stocks hitting new all-time highs this week, but the Omicron variant continuing to present challenges for that industry. Kate Rogers joins us now with a look at the buying opportunities in the group for 2022. Good morning, Kate. Hey, good morning, Scott. Well, after learning how to manage in an ongoing pandemic, the industry, as you mentioned, is continuing to face challenges as the Omicron variant spreads. And analysts are looking to names that can perform well in both open and more restricted environments and have pricing power and flexibility as inflation continues to weigh on the sector. Peter Slay at BTIG says his top pick for 2022 is Starbucks. Slay says investors should own names that cater to a higher income demographic in 2022 and that value will continue to be in focus for customers in the coming months and quarters. And for Andrew Charles at Cowan, Chipotle takes the top spot. Again, a company that has expressed it really has some room to run on pricing. Charles said that the premium valuation there is justified by the sales execution at the company. He points to the sales strategy the company is pursuing, which is focused on social responsibility, digital loyalty, and menu innovation. Now, other names mentioned as opportunities by Charles Wingstop and newly public companies this year, Sweetgreen and Dutch Bros. All of the names here I mentioned are digital focus, which will remain key with consumers who are looking to order via digital platforms for the foreseeable future. But Carl, the two top performers in this space for the year are Domino's and taking the top spot, Papa John's. Back over to you. Yeah, what a run for both of those names, Kate. Uh, pretty incredible. Thanks, our Kate Rogers. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 
Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.